Hello? Who's there? Awi, <laughs> Naina. Who's your mom? Egua, who's your dad? Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest Nitsigasun, Ginekoma My name is Amber Dion and I'm from the Kihiwan Cree Nation right here in Treaty Six Territory. I'm a mother, I'm a social worker, and I'm also an assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Hey, hey! <laughs> My English name is Terry Sengens. I'm from Sally Cree Nation, and I am the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Keogh Weston at McEwen University. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to the conversations. Okay, so welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. Today we have Mr. Chris Scribe joining us. Uh, I'm going to give this opportunity to Chris to introduce himself and then we're going to get a little bit into um, talking about uh, his trauma <laughs> and uh, we're going to start, we, we've agreed to start at the age of five oh, and uh, work our way up so we're going to be working up until this might take a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready Chris? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't sign up for, uh, didn't sign up for that, so, but, uh, <laughs> we'll make something happen anyway, so, all right, so, I guess, uh, Tansi Gumagante, Chris Grabnitsigasen, Kinaseo Sipi Uchinia, Haukunabi Togahe, Amani Amachiabi, Hogo Wakpa, Agichitaya Taihibi, uh, so, my name's Chris Grabe, thanks for, uh, inviting me onto the podcast, this is gonna be awesome, um, I don't know how much trauma we can fill into this uh, into this episode three, uh, but we're gonna take it to another level. I know that for a fact. All right, on. Uh, so a little bit of uh, background of of how Terry and I know Chris. It was uh, started uh, way back at this, at this party. It was this one powwow, and uh, it was a cold. A cold. There was that crisp. That crisp fall air and uh, the leaves were just starting to change. Aya and uh, no, I'm joking. But um, so uh, I don't remember that. No, that's that's okay. Uh, I I was just messing with you, Chris. But um, so Terry and I um have known Chris through the work, the incredible work that Chris has uh, been doing for for many years. Uh, more specifically, in relation to uh, Think Indigenous and uh, the work that. Uh, you've done in Indigenous education, um, uh, the work that you've done for Indigenous students. Um, and so I really would love to hear, and I, please let our listeners know uh, a bit about the work that you've done for Indigenous students uh, and kind of the, uh, some of the story around Think Indigenous, where that came from. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, so um, I guess... <laughs> I guess we are going to go back, you know, we are going to go back to, you know, you know, way back in the day. Um, so, so my grandfather, uh, Nimoshim, uh, was from, uh, Norway House Cree Nation, Kinaseo CP. And he was a hunter, fisher, trapper, lived off the land, uh, beautiful soul, understanding of the land, a PhD level academic in terms of biology, astronomy, everything that uh, that we know as Indigenous people, everything that we know about the land, all of the animals, the biology of all of that, like he was up there 
you know, and that knowledge passed down to him for, for many generations. And <clears throat> somewhere in the 70s, um, and, he, and, and I can't, you know, reiterate this enough, but, you know, my grandfather loved the land. Like, he loved that space and that place. You know, CPAS stick is our family trap line. And, like, he absolutely, totally loved that. And something changed within the community where we're from. And what changed was... Uh, a lot of our young people were returning home into into Norway House, into Kineseo CP, and they were returning back there with uh, carrying with them uh, the baggage and the trauma that's associated with residential school. And they started to change the atmosphere of the land he left. And they started to create, um, you know, all of these negative things that we think about and we know right now. And it was changing so much that he was scared to raise his children in this environment. Um, so in the 70s, they moved out of Norway House and, and moved their children out of that space. And I, and I imagine how difficult that must have been to get on a plane and fly uh, to Winnipeg, uh, leaving you know his home and his territory, his trap line, his house he built, and, and knowing that uh, he couldn't be there and, and, and offer the best opportunity for children so when he moved to um when when they moved to portageville prairie manitoba uh him and my grandmother uh one of the things that he did is he worked in he worked in the boiler room in the industrial and in, in the and in uh one of the places the school residence in portageville prairie and on a as a side gig he he started to tour schools and he started to share uh knowledge of the trap line knowledge of the north stories all of these really wicked, amazing things that you know uh, we we come to take it take uh, you know, take it for granted. He started to share these in these schools, and man, they were eating it up like crazy. And this was in the seventies, uh, in towards the late seventies, he started to do that more. And you know, my grandfather, in terms of the westernized education system, he had a grade six industrial school education. But the man was a visionary. Like he, the, the stuff that he carried with him was just phenomenal. And one of the things that he started to do is he started to write story. He started to share story of these uh, uh, brilliant, amazing, powerful, uh, uh, not only legends, but history of the North. Uh, you know, these runners that would break trail for the uh, Hudson Bay trappers on snowshoe running 400 miles uh, every winter, easy, you know, and sharing these wicked stories. And man, he did that every place, sharing this knowledge. And what he was doing, he's breaking down racism, he's breaking down stereotypes, and he's creating this space of uh, of indigenous inclusion in a system that was designed to kill us. And and when I guess my grandfather ended up in, in the uh, uh, you know, in this time and this prime of, of sharing Indigenous knowledge and education, he ended up getting sick and he ended up passing away from cancer. And when he passed away, I was three years old at that time. And, um, you know, I just heard stories growing up. You know, I, I have a recording of uh, me and, and me and my cousin, you know, talking to him and he's laughing with us and joking with us. And just snippets of memory, you know, that we think of back to, you know, those times when we're, when we're super young, right? And it wasn't until all these years later um, 
that I came to this realization um, of of why it's important that I do the work that I do in education and, uh, you know, what it is that drives, I guess, and motivates mm-hmm. some of the things that I do. Um, you know, it was just, it's that dedication, you know, to him, uh, you know, that dedication and the promise. I remember driving uh, to school, to the university, to ITEP as a student um, and, from Tom Aker to Thunderchild, as I was going to school at, at and Thunderchild First Nation, uh, they had ITEP classes there to start off for one year. And I was driving there, and I had an assignment due that morning for Ed <laughs> Foundations 101. You know, I know no students ever do that, but while I was driving, I'm like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And, <laughs> and I'm driving in, and the assignment is, why do you want to be a teacher? Hmm. That's the assignment. You know, I'm like, ah, oh, freaking wing it. You know, summer's off. I can ball, you know, I can dance and sing, you know, get paid. You don't have to worry about the pay window. You know, like uh, third place or fourth place, that's my level, you know. <laughs> I get those places. And uh, that doesn't always pay the bills home, you know. <laughs> so, and, uh, so a job in the summer, you know, that could be it. But I knew if I said that, I'd fail that assignment. So I was like, oh, what else could I say? So I'm driving and it's just like beautiful, like, uh, you know, it just seems like it's phony, but I'm coming over the, the valley of the Saskatchewan River passing the, uh, on a little tiny ferry, like a 200 meter ferry. It goes across the river and then I'm coming up and the sun is coming up and it's just reaching over the, over the horizon. And uh, <laughs> it's funny I'm saying this because, uh, it sounds so phony. Like if someone were telling me this, I'd be like, oh, that guy's bullshitting, man. <laughs> not <think> that sacred. <laughs> not that deadly. Like that's not really happening. So the sun's coming up over over this. Uh, it's winter time. It's not like I was up at 6 a.m. So settle down. So it's winter time. The sun's coming up. And my grandfather, my grandfather had a Cree name. Uh, his Cree name was uh, Sagastio. You know, the sunrise is coming up, right? Uh, he didn't like that name, but that, that was his Cree name. Anyway, I don't know. Somebody must have gave that to him. But as I was coming up, I thought, okay, so what am I going to say? And I'm driving this. I'm driving to this class at Foundations 101, and I'm thinking about my grandfather. And as Indian people, um, I, I guess that's another thing that I, that I disclaimer that I put. I'm an Indian first before anything. I'm, I'm Nakota Cree before anything. So my grandmother was a Nakota, and that's how I was raised in my home. Everywhere else outside of that was Plains Cree, and I'm not even Plains Cree. I'm Swampy. I'm Swampy Cree and Woodland Cree. So anyways, I'm all messed up on the Cree, you know. But other, anyways, back to the story. So I'm thinking about my grandfather. I'm thinking about all the stories I heard about him growing up. I'm thinking about... Um, what the native education branch in Manitoba did, they named a building after him. They talked about his accomplishments. Uh, you know, they did these other things on the education branch of, of Manitoba, all the schools he toured. And I said, why do I want to be a teacher? And what I, what I did was I made a vow. And, you know, uh, those vows, Indian people vows, not those wedding vows, you know, that, you know, some... <laughs> Not those kind. These are real ones, you know, like uh, those sacred Indian vows. I, I, I went and did it. I went 
driving up on that. I was driving up and seeing that sunset, thinking about my grandfather and the things that he did in education. And I made him a promise. And in that promise, in that in that space where I was at, you know, I thought about him and I thought about all the amazing things that my grandfather could have done. I thought about all of those classrooms where he could have shared knowledge, you know, to just like squash the shit out of this freaking racism that exists in these schools that he can go and share the knowledge about how brilliant and smart and amazing and uh, powerful that our people are instead mm-hmm. of all these, these ugly stereotypes that exist about who we are as Indian people. I, I thought about everything that he could have done, all the knowledge that he carried within his soul and his being passed down from my ancestors, passed down from his ancestors to him, that I thought about all those things that he could have done and he, he couldn't because he was taken from this earth too long, too early. So as I was driving, I made that Indian vow that I believe when I'm done when I leave this earth, when my, I take my last breath here, that's not the end. I don't believe that that's the end. I believe that I'm going to be greeted by my ancestors. They're going to greet me, and it's going to be this beautiful, amazing greeting. Like, imagine the most amazing grand entry of the most amazing singers and dancers and, and, and beautiful voices and beautiful dancers and a, and a wicked MC just sharing that knowledge. That's, what's gonna, that's what I imagine happening. And in that time, the one that's going to lead that procession to come and greet me into this place, into this space, is my grandfather. And the vow that I made as I was driving as to why I want to be a teacher was I want to tell him the first words that come out of my mouth, the first things that I ever say when I get to this space is, Musham, I did everything I could for our people. I did everything I could so that they'll be successful, so that they'll be proud of who they are, so that they'll be uh, uh, carry with them the knowledge of our ancestors, so they'll carry with them how powerful and amazing they are, just like you would have, Musham, if you could have lived longer. Mm-hmm. And that's the vow and promise that I made in that space. And everything I do is to honor that commitment and that vow that I made to my Musham. Now, that you, uh, we're, we're sitting here and we're human beings. We're faulted. You know, we, we, we're not perfect. And part of that imperfection is our ability to lie to one another. <laughs> it's our ability to bullshit, you know, one another if we, if we see fit. It's, our, it's the ability to say, you know, I'm just going to coast this one out. I'm not going to do it to my full potential because, you know, it's too hard. I'm just going to chill. And we have that ability as human beings to do that. But because of that vow that I made to my grandfather, I can never do that in indigenous education because I can't lie to my musham. I can't lie to him because he sees all the work that, that I'm doing. And in that vow in that space, when I was driving to that class that morning, um, I can't have that conversation. And that is the most sacred law of, of, of who we are as Indian people is to know and understand that when we do those things and when we say those things out loud, we have to do them. Mm-hmm. And, and we have mm-hmm. to do it with our heart and our soul and everything that we have. Otherwise, we're no longer mm-hmm. Indian people. Mm-hmm. We're no longer following Indian law. 
and and this is um it was hammered home to me growing up that's the type of education that i had in my house from my grandmother is that kindness and that you know you you remember this this is how it's supposed to be this is how it is this is the way that things are and man that that right there is the motivation you know we went back you know into this but why do we do this work it's it's because i'm 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 doing my best to honor honor my musham and have that conversation with him one day mm. and and everything that i've done that that we've been we we've, we've been uh, you know partnered with and the stuff that we've done with uh with you know amber and terry and McEwen has been part of that journey for me is is everybody is helping me anybody that helps with the work that i do is helping me to continue to have that conversation with my grandfather hmm. and you know so i think about that sometimes and i think shit i'm kind of selfish you know like i'm making all these people work like this and but it's only because of that vow and that promise i made but i think it's more than that i think when i made that vow and that promise that they became stakeholders in my work they became um you know my backup and i think about i i also think about that is i think about you know we have that ability to have the most powerful backup in the history of the world and i'm not talking about gangs and all of that kind of stuff you know or i'm not talking about you know those girls from kahiu and our satellite <laughs> rugged backup you know not those guys you know not those ones west I'm side talking about, <laughs> i'm talking i'm talking about spiritual backup and and we have we have access to that and for me that has mm-hmm. helped me enormously in anything that i've done that i've done in this in this work in indigenous education because that is the um the push and uh that is the motivation to continue to do the work i mean that didn't really answer your question but we talked about the motivation we talked about mm-hmm. you know where we are in this space right now and i want to say one quick thing uh before i hand it over to terry is it's interesting that you talk about that vow that you have for your that you made to your grandfather and how you feel as though you're selfish because you're having all these people you know invested in this work to continue that conversation with your grandfather but we have vows to our ancestors too i've made a vow to my grandmother who had eight of her children removed from her care and sent to residential school i made a vow to my kokum my nukum that i would say the things that she never got to say i made that vow years ago mm-hmm. and so my part of my journey has been speaking the truths of what my grandmother might have said had she been given the opportunity uh to speak about what that must have felt like to have all of her children uh removed from her care and so um i think that being in partnership with someone like yourself Chris is also, you know, me performing that vow as well. So I think that we all have vows to our ancestors in some way shape or form and that we all support each other in that way. So thank you for giving us space to carry out the vows that we have to our grandparents as well. Yeah, no, I mean, there you go. I mean, that's I, that should be a job description, you know. <laughs> 
who have you vowed to do this work to? You know, that should be one of those things that get put on, you know, some kind of contract or something. But who did, uh, who did you yeah. vow to? Which ancestor did you vow name to? Name the ancestor that you vowed to. <laughs> Speak for name. First interview question. <laughs> you want to work for us at the Indigenous Center? That's your first question. <laughs> Yeah, question number one. Yeah, that's, that's number one thing. Again. And I love that. I think that that's, that's definitely something that we've chatted about with previous um, people who have come onto the podcast is discussing where their motivation came from and uh, why they do what they do. And so thank you for sharing that because that's really important to, uh, to our listeners to understand uh, who we are and why we do what we do. Um, and why we're passionate about what we do. And so one of the things I wanted to get into is, is a little bit more um, of a difficult conversation. Uh, <laughs> is, you ready? <laughs> is, you know, I work in more of a leadership position as a director of Indigenous Initiatives. Um, and so I've always had Amber uh, working alongside me at the university as well. And I know, Chris, that you've worked as the director of the ITEP program uh, with the University of Saskatchewan. And I guess one of the things is um, that is important for our listeners to know is about some of the challenges that we face and also about the ongoing um, fight that we, we, we have to uh, fight, I guess, within our institutions for very sometimes very simple things. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily see that work when they see all these great things going on, right? Like they see um, all these initiatives that happen, all of these events, but they don't actually see the shit that we have to go through to get or to do a lot of that stuff. Um, thankfully, we've been pretty lucky, lucky at the university um, with McEwen because we've we've had a lot of leadership support in a lot of the work that we've done. Um, in the very beginning, I know that we've uh, one of the really big challenges we had was how are we paying, uh, for instance, our elders or our people who are coming in to provide teachings to our institution and in the classroom space. So how are we? How are we ensuring that they're paid on time? How are we ensuring that they are gifted in time? And so one of the things is, is that we had to create, again, a whole new financial guideline for that and really educate our whole financial department about um, why it's important. And, and that was a really good conversation because I think that they don't also understand the barriers. And again, we come from two very different worldviews that it's just, it's, they just don't get it or they don't know what they don't know. And so education is also another big piece of the work that we have to do within our own institutions on top of our jobs, where we're kind of left to do uh, that work as an extra on top of everything else. Off the side of your desk. Exactly. Um, smudging, a smudging policy that was being worked on um, at the institution when I started. Um, and, you know, coming from an Indigenous institution and then working within a Western institution, uh, you know, there wasn't, you, you couldn't just smudge wherever you wanted. You had to ask for permission. Well, you couldn't smudge, period. Um, or, or you did. <laughs> and and you, then you faced potential consequences for that but exactly. doing it on the key moots. 
So, like, there's just all these things, right? Like, we, we could go on about and uh, about some of the struggles and the things that we had to really work through. Um, but I wanted to talk, hand it over to you and, and anything that you wanted to share with us in regards right. to some of your struggles, Chris. All right, well, I mean, here we go. So we have, <laughs> so we have, <clears throat> we have a system of education that, is not indigenous friendly uh, by the foundation of what it is. It's not. not. Not only like universities, but education in general was created for, uh, you know, white male students. That's what education was created for. Uh, that's not a lie. Institutions like universities were definitely 100% created for old white guys. Uh, that's that's who they were built for. That's the reason that they were built. That's who it, that's who it is. So the system in general that is built for somebody else that is not us is always going to be flawed for Indigenous people, mm-hmm. always. And unfortunately, when we're Indigenous thinkers and Indigenous people in these institutions, uh, we are always in uh, conflict with with the system, mm-hmm. um, and that. For some people, you know, feels like it's conflict with individuals or people, uh, but it's not. We're in conflict with the system. We're trying to create space uh, for Indigenous success in a system designed to kill them. Uh, that's insanity that that's what we're trying to do, but that's put on the plate of every Indigenous program in every educational institution on this planet that it is not a safe space for Indigenous people in general. So someone came up with this amazing idea to indigenize the world of universities. And, you know, if we throw this beautiful little blanket exercise on every Indigenous institution, then boom, everybody's going to be woken up and we're going to (laughs) include indigeneity into all aspects of everything that we do. The issue that happened uh, that's happening is we forgot that the most important thing to any university institution is not learning. It's it's money. It's the tuition dollars that come into our edu- into our institutions. That is what's most important. They put deans in charge of budgets because that's what's most important. They give deans a lot of power because that's what's most important to them. Every conversation is about dollars. It's about cents. It's about finance. It's about this, blah, 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 blah. All of that finance stuff right there is systemically racist towards Indigenous people uh, because we don't look at the uh, payment of services the same way that a non-Indigenous institution will look at them. So when we look at indigenizing or we look at including indigenous knowledge and education we go with teachers and curriculum and syllabi and we go with programs but we leave the finance piece on its own to continue to be racist towards indigenous people man that's so messed up because that's their most important thing Mm -hmm. so why 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 isn't there some kind of full-scale uh indigenization freaking thread and process and people that are being thrown at these financial uh, spaces and these institutions to look at creating and incorporating and doing the best they can to up disrupt that system in there. Now, they're not, they don't, because they, 
the, the history of that is that indigenous people will compromise to fit our system. If they don't compromise to fit our system, then they should go somewhere else. You know, or, or they'll go somewhere else and they'll go and figure it out somewhere in another space and place. As an as a Indigenous leader in, in our institutions, which I served a role for six years as an Indigenous leader for the most successful First Nation teacher education program in Canada. There is nobody that has the numbers that ITEP has for First Nation post-secondary success. Mm-hmm. The amount of grads that we graduate every year. How many institutions have 100 First Nation grads come through their program? 100 every year. Mm-hmm. Every year, you know, and fluctuating between 160, 75, 80, 110. You know, that's the numbers that are being produced. And we're also incorporating and sharing knowledge with all of them. So the success of the program, working within the bubble, uh, protection bubble, I guess, you know, like it's what we did is we put up this, you know, anti-colonial bubble that goes up, man, it's, it's shielding our students as much as we can, but there's always ways that, you know, uh, weak spots in there that come up. And the weakest spot is the finance piece. We are failing to indigenize the most important thing to our institutions and that's finance. Mm. And it causes contention with Indigenous people and Indigenous programs always. There should be no reason that an elder has to pay to come and support your work at the, at the, at the university. There is no way. And why I say that is because when someone would come to my house growing up, um, when someone would come and visit, you know, my grandmother would go into the freezer, she'd go into the fridge, she'd go into the cupboard, she'd load up a box of groceries, all of our good shit would walk out the door. <laughs> and I'd, I'd be looking at it, you know, tear in my eye, little chubby kid, you know, my Fruit Loops, my Fruit Loops, you know, they're leaving, you know, but, but, but afterwards, she didn't phone them and ask them for, or she didn't send those groceries two weeks later, or she didn't, you know, she didn't do any of those processes after the fact. She didn't feel like she was paying for a service. She was following Indian protocol that we feed our guests when they come over. Mm-hmm. And if they were to, if we're asking them to come and visit and share something with us, yeah. story, ceremony, whatever it is, we're not paying for those services. We're giving the offering for them to be there and we're feeding their families because they've taken time away where they have the opportunity to feed their family on a job or something like that. We're feeding them. We're looking after them. So our view of finance is different. So it's not a fee for service. It's, it's not a tendering uh, for a culture camp. It's not like any of these things that we mm-hmm. face. It's our Indian way to do that. And that is always a point of contention, always. And why is it contentious? Because they don't understand it. And the perception that they have is that you need to conform. It's the same perception as to why it's okay to fail Indian children in high school. Hmm. You know, this is my curriculum. If you don't get it the way that I teach it, tough luck. Try again next year. Bullshit. That is not okay. It is not okay. 
you know, the fact that you're failing or the fact that we're failing, you know, and mm-hmm. continuing to do the same thing over and over again and continuing to fail a certain group of people or fail a certain indigenous, uh, you know, insta- uh, group of people in our institution, it's not the fault of indigenous people. It's not. I'm sorry, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's the fault of that institution or it's the fault of that teacher. They need to change to accommodate to indigenous people being in that space. Mm-hmm. Because if we do that, what will happen is that the institution will reach levels that it never even ever thought of. The institution will blow the ceiling off that place. You know, all of those, you know, brick buildings that somebody built at McEwen? See you later. They're all going to be blown to shit because we're going to be able to take you past that. And that's what they're missing out on. And I don't understand why we think as a society that that's okay Mm -hmm. it's not okay like we have right now today in edmonton or in saskatoon or winnipeg or new york or wherever there are indigenous people that have powerful amazing knowledge knowledge like my grandmother knowledge like your nookum your cookum knowledge like my 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 musham that we are letting slip through our fingers and that is a uh, that's a tra- that's a tragedy that that's happening, and we have to think about how we can create um, space to include those. But we have to start at what's most important to institutions. And as much as you'd like to say that the you know the learning and the uh, you know the the books in our library and the research is most important. Research is only important as long as it comes with a shirt grant. Yep. Research is only important as long as money is attached to it. Research is only important as long as you put a publication in a in a journal somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. So you know, those the most important part of our institutions need to indigenize, and that's where the contention is, and that's where the struggle is. And when you have people that benefit from systems that are racist or benefit from systems that that protect their their power and their control they're going to protect that shit no matter what they're going to protect it because they benefit from mm-hmm. it and me i i fight that 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 that's and and people don't like the fact of how i talk i've been called all every name I've been called emotionally immature. I've been called, you know, a troublemaker. I've been told that I burn bridges. I've been told that, you know, that I'm, uh, I need to watch what I say and how I say it. I've been told all of these things. I've been told that I'm an angry Indian. You know, I've been told all of these things about who I am, but all I am is speaking truth. And, you know, no matter what happens, you know, I, I'm going to be okay. I'm not speaking truth for me. Like I'm not, I'm not, I sure as hell ain't being promoted in different spaces at, at institutions speaking the way that I speak, but I'm speaking on behalf of the students that I work for. I'm serving them mm-hmm. because that's what I, that's my role as a servant to those kids. And it's also serving them so that I can have the conversation with my grandfather. So I don't give a shit. And, and because of that, you know, it upsets people who protect those systems. It upsets people who uh, who are uh, protecting white fragility. It upsets people who are in a space of benefiting from the failure of indigenous people. Hmm. And 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 it gets them 
in, into a space where they feel uh, threatened or they feel attacked or they feel, I don't know how they feel, man. I, like, I don't know. I don't understand it. Uh, I wish that people would just kind of like say, okay, Chris, bloody hell, you're right, man. You know, we can't fail Indians anymore and we can't fail Métis people anymore. Let's, what, what should we do? I'm like, shit, let's change some stuff around here a little bit and let's start with the finance because that's the most basic. Mm-hmm. And if you change, change the most important thing to an institution, the rest starts to follow. Hmm. The rest starts to follow. Totally. I mean, I agree. yeah. And, and what is our solution to changing systems is we start writing uh, land acknowledgements uh, to people. You know, I acknowledge that I'm on the traditional territory of mm-hmm. uh, so-and-so. Well, you know, maybe uh, have we asked if we can actually have our institution on their land? You know, like, uh, uh, have we asked if we can actually continue to operate the way that we're operating, you know, on their traditional territory? Mm-hmm. No, they haven't. You know, like, what's the rep? Are all the people in, uh, whose land you're on, do they come to your institution for free? I mean, if it's their land, mm-hmm. you know, why shouldn't they? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if there's some kind of clause in there, like, let's do a real land acknowledgement, man. And, and let's do that. Let's create that. And anybody that falls within there, if I'm on the traditional territory of the, the Cree, the Métis, you know, the Ojibwe or whatever, then all Crees and all Ojibwe's and all Métis people should go to that institution for free, hmm. you know, as as uh, as uh, as an acknowledgement of utilizing their traditional land and their traditional territory, hmm. you know. <laughs> but yeah. that doesn't happen unless we indigenize finance, yeah. unless we indigenize what's most important to them. Hmm. And, and really make that uh, or or how about we give that land back to them and we rent it off of those people hmm. and then they they can uh, use that to send their people to that institution for their tuition and and, and their treaty right to an inherent right to education like there's so many things that could happen that don't mm-hmm. because they're protecting a system that fails us yeah yeah I don't know there it is that's the that's the rant for tonight. That's a good rant. Uh, It's a good rant to have. um, And multiple times uh, throughout uh, our conversation thus far, uh, it's been mentioned that uh, there's a system that was designed to kill us. And uh, one of the things that I've struggled with uh, in my teaching career so far is that um, one of the things that we talk about often is decolonizing education. And um, one of the struggles that I've had in my classrooms, and I've talked about this openly with my students, I've said it out loud where I'm like, I just, I, I want to decolonize education. That's something that is, you know, in my mind, it's in my heart. How do I do that? How do I decolonize education when the entire system of education is set up, like you said, in this system that was designed to kill us? And so here I am teaching within a Western um academic institution and I'm going into my small space with my 28 students whether that be in my advanced practice class or in my indigenous knowledge class or my social work with families class and I'm wanting to decolonize education but how do you decolonize education when I'm working within a colonial context and that hasn't changed and that won't change the system won't change you know crumble to the ground from my one class I don't know but I think about that often and that's a struggle of how do you do that and so how do you 
you know, and you've talked about your grandfather, you've talked about uh, the work that you've done, um, you know, and I, and I think that if you could leave us with something about how do you stay, how do you stay grounded? What grounds you, Chris? What, what keeps you going? Um, what can you share with educators, social workers, community folks, um, people that are working in law or in finance? Um, you know, what kind of things would you like to leave folks with about how to stay grounded? Uh, and how do you stay, you know, stay true to those roots, to those, to those vows that you've made? Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> so part of, so part of, I mean, frustration builds without a doubt in, in the work that we do. I wish it was so easy, you know, um, I remember a conversation that I had with my late uncle um, one time and, and about root words and meanings of words. And I later heard it again from Barry Henneke. Um, is, is the word that we use for a school. Uh, that's the word that's used in a Cree language, Plains Cree language for school. And what my uncle told me is he said, you know, you break these words down, my boy. He said, you break them down because our words describe you know, uh, uh, this, they're descriptive. Mm -hmm. So when these kids were coming home from residential school and their parents were asking them, you know, where was it or what was it like? Is the name that they gave that place. A building that you go to learn to cry. Hmm. That's the word that we use for school. And what they were describing was they were describing every kid that went into these institutions and cried themselves to sleep every night. And we are still crying ourselves to sleep every night, wherever we are in these education systems. Still, it's 2020, but it feels like 1972. It feels like somebody just wrote, you know, the red paper and, and, and the white papers coming at us full force. Mm -hmm. And that those, those cookums that pitched up those canvas tents on the on the fields of Blue Quills Residential School and said, to hell with you. We're going to take it back and do it ourselves. How do you stay motivated? How do I stay motivated? How do we stay motivated in systems like this? They are constantly attacking us. But no matter what they do, no matter what the system tries to do to us, our ancestors have our back. They know that we're in there to do the best work we can with what we have. And, and they're going to continue. They're never going to leave us. They're never going to leave us. You know, like it's, it's not like you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to say, oh, shit, you know, my ancestors ditched me. I'm, I got to do this on my own. But we think that we have to do that. A lot of times we think that we have to do this on our own. We have to remember that we're indigenous. Remember that we're indigenous and think that we're indigenous. My adopted sister told me this story. She said her dad was telling her a conversation and said, you know, when you wake up in the morning, my girl, uh, do you, first he said, do you believe in gravity? And she's like, yeah. So when you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed, do you believe that gravity is gonna keep you on the ground? She's like, yeah. And then when you go for a walk outside, do you believe that gravity is going to keep you on the ground? And she said, yeah. And can you see gravity, my girl? No. Do you ever question that gravity isn't going to work when you wake up in the morning? 
And she said, no. And she said, you need to treat faith the same way. Hmm. That everything that you do, everything that you do, even though you can't see it, that it, they are going to back you up no matter where you are, no matter what you do, that our ancestors got our back. I pray every single time that I'm going to speak or anything that I'm going to do that's important, I pray to my musham and I pray to my late my late grandmother and I ask them to stand with me. And, and not only stand with me, I ask them to speak through me mm-hmm. and that whatever they share will reach somebody and it'll be important and impactful to them that i'm not just speaking for some reason like speaking at pounding tables at some political event that's that that's not the kind of speeches that i do because Mm -hmm. i ask them every time but you know sometimes i question that and when i question if my ancestors are there from if i question my faith that's when Mm -hmm. stuff starts to get unbearably hard that's when things start to get difficult and and i start to stress the hello and then i have to just you know do a react that's probably my scottish roots you know that are just questioning some of i'm gonna blame that you know that fur trade northern manitoba you know they fight for me while they got to kill the english
freaking worry about them. Mm-hmm. But man, that's not, I mean, I, you know, that's, and, and I pray it every day that I'm raising my son to treat women properly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, we do that right. And I'm asking that, you know, that our ancestors help, you know, with some of that. So what do we do? You know, what, where we, where's our motivation? Where does it come from? You know, it comes from our faith, faith in our ancestors, faith in our ceremonies, faith in our prayers, Mm -hmm. faith that we do things and they got our back. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to carry all that shit on our own. Mm -hmm. You don't have to carry it on your own. Nobody does. There's not one superhuman Indian person out there. There's some pretty strong indigenous women that exist out there that could probably do some of that work. You know, I'm not talking to two of them, you know, but but no human being can do that. No human being. And yeah. and those people that back us, our ancestors that are backing us, they can change the weather. They can do all kinds mm-hmm. of amazing things for us and move mountains if yeah. need be. Yeah. You know, so that's the strength that's there. That's the hope and foundation that follows. Hmm. And look out for signs of where you're supposed, what the path is, because they'll guide us and where we're supposed to go they'll open the doors and they'll allow us to choose to walk through them or not mm-hmm. you know it's up it's still up to us it's still our choice if we want to do that that work or not but they'll put those paths in there mm-hmm. and and it's because of those signs and those paths and that that you know because of that faith and the conversations that led up that that i you know that i moved on to a different position now i've moved on into a different role it's because i'm following what I believe is creator's, you know, signs. Hmm. And, and, you know, is that, how do you put that in a Facebook post? You know, with people <laughs> freaking asking you like every day, oh, where are you going? What are you doing? And then a ministry of Saskatchewan freaking sent me a message asking me what my next job is. You know, I'm like, I'm going to run for the conservative party of Saskatchewan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just swore, I just swore on the podcast. Anyways, but but that that that's what it is. Is you just allow yourself to follow. That's that's all we can do. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not we're not we're not promised anything in this life. You know, yeah. uh, we're not even promised tomorrow. So we do everything in our power right now to do the best that we can with what we got, and we just move forward. And we always always disrupt systems that are that are harming Indigenous people. Always, mm-hmm. never. If you're an indigenous person and you're complacent and you're saying, oh, I love this place. It's amazing. You need to get the hell out of there. You know, (laughs) you need to go out there and maybe run for a a provincial, you know, position and, you know, sign out your treaty rights and just kind of join up with somewhere else. But you don't you don't belong in systems because they're that are harming our people. Mm. So I guess. (laughs) Uh, all the podcast views are just going down like this guy's too rank man you know it's just getting worse holy Uzi, just geez you know i wish i was real super real nice like your other guests there okay anyway sorry that, that, that's it i i mean that's that's the i hope the answer to that last uh, that last bit there hmm. no that's a great way to end i think that Amber and I could definitely relate to everything that you said and, and sharing with our listeners um, about your truth. I think that, you know, it, 
to leave that off is, you know, I had a conversation tonight with uh, educators uh, this evening, and one of the things was um, they were talking about non-Indigenous folks who were profiting off um, creating Indigenous resources and making money off them. And, um, and so they're having this conversation in their teachers and I said, and I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm listening and I said, well, did anybody say anything? And they're like, well, no, we didn't say anything. Well, why not? Why, why not have a good, that conversation um, with that person who is creating indigenous resources? Um, and, and, and it could be a fine conversation, but again, like I think this is the thing is that, you know, as indigenous people within these systems, we need to continue asking questions and we need to continue challenging and having a better understanding of what's going on. Um, so thank you for that. I really appreciate um, everything that you shared with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I really was hoping to make you cry on this episode, but uh, <laughs> d- didn't happen. <laughs> it's not, we're not going to publish this one now. <laughs> we're going to have to do yeah. it again. Yeah, we're going to have to record again. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, to bring the tears, you know, uh, that's when I, uh, I talk about my grandmother. So, mm. yeah, we didn't go there. So, you know, I, I dodged that bullet. So, you know, we just kind of moved off. But I guess uh, I guess just in closing, you know, I want to thank I want to thank the two of you and the, and the amazing work that you guys are doing, you know, in bringing uh, bring some voice and bring some, you know, power here. Uh, this is this is important work to allow people a platform to speak truth, mm-hmm. uh, allow people uh some insight into into different work that's happening out there and you know this is what we need and you know i um i guess what uh i guess what's uh really really cool about all of this is that um you know you're bringing you know some of that uh is squirrel fire you know to some of this and uh that's what that's what this world needs man uh we need more of that uh, we need to return to some of that understanding and, you know, just keep on uh, doing that. And what we'll see is we'll have an opportunity to hopefully, uh, you know, wreck some systems along the way and build some up again. So, hi, hi, can I ask Hi, hi. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point, frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids, can't taste clean water A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors, anguish, lightning in our veins Hear it in a language when they are kitchen for the rain I am product of people that persevere, persecution Paint me so creator sees me, if I go out shooting Experience our pain, when our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptations? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Two Crees in a Pod.